If you would like to, you're welcome to turn your Bibles with me to Psalm 119. I'm looking at one verse this morning, and you may find it easiest just to follow along in your bulletins. Uh, but uh, I, I have one week this week. Next week, we'll be starting up a sermon series on 1 Peter, and, uh, and I'm really looking forward to that. I've been looking forward to it for a while, but I wanted to start it in connection with kind of the kickoff of Sunday School. And, uh, and that left me with one week uh, to be able to have a free week, if you will, and it gave me an opportunity to preach on what you will see is, in fact, one verse. I'm sorry, uh, Bert, am I catching an echo here? Is, is everybody else getting that? It, it, up here, we're hearing it's too loud. I'm getting a huge echo. If, if, if we can't, that, that's much better for me. Is that better? All right, sorry about that, everybody. I just wanted to uh, get that straight straight. Okay, anyway, this verse caught my attention. It caught my attention in, uh, in the spring when we were working through the Psalter. We were working through the Psalter as a church in the context of uh, prayer meetings and of evening worship. And when, I, when we came to this particular verse, I had an experience that I trust sometimes happens to you as well where you're reading along in the Word of God and you're trying to understand the Word of God, you're trying to apply the Word of God to your particular life and your particular uh, situation. And every once in a while, it just leaps off the page at you. A particular verse, a particular way that something is said that you weren't expecting or that you're familiar with, but it hits you in a different way. And you have the experience of the Holy Spirit saying to you, yeah, I'm talking to you. That, that yes, I'm always talking to you when I'm working through my word, but no, in particular, as you're reading this verse, I'm talking to you and applying this to your heart. And that's what I felt about when I read verse 32 of Psalm uh, 119. Since then, I have been praying it for myself. I've asked Lauren to pray it for me. I've asked the session to pray it for me uh, as well. Now, just real quickly, if you're not familiar with Psalm 119, longest psalm uh, that we have in the scriptures, and it's a beautiful poem, a beautiful song, uh, not just about the law of God, which is what you'd expect me to say, the word of God, if you're familiar with it, but it's about the relationship that exists between the psalmist and his God, and he's thankful for the word of God, the law of God, because it reveals God to him. It is the means by which he can come to know and enjoy this God. So it's not like extracting the law of God and saying, hey, the law is great, but the law is great as it leads us up to God and communicates who God is to us as well. So a long poem, it's an acrostic, it's uh, eight verses for each of the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Now with that, let me then just read one verse for us. This is God's holy, perfect, inerrant, inspired word. Verse 32, I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. Lord, let's, let's pray. Great God in heaven, we need your help. We need you to open up our hearts to your word so that not only do we hear it today with our ears, but so that it does its work of penetrating down deep inside of us. And Lord, we pray that you would do exactly that for your glory, for our good. Lift us up today. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So the prayer has been simple then since I read this word. Lord, enlarge my heart. Enlarge my heart. That simple of a prayer. Uh, Sometimes sermons are hard to understand. Uh, Kids, I realize that sometimes it's hard to put together all of the parts of a sermon and follow along with them. But for both the children of the church and for those of us adults who have seen it, there is a really simple way, a really simple picture of the sermon today that is available at least to 95%, 90% of the people in the room right now. And it's this, you remember the Grinch who stole Christmas, right? The Grinch who stole Christmas And it is said that the problem with the Grinch was that his heart was two sizes too small. Two sizes too small. And of course, the idea then is that the Grinch needs to have a bigger heart. Or, in the words of the passage today, the Grinch needed to have his heart enlarged. And when we consider it, when we think about it, you know the story, uh, the Grinch is not able to keep Christmas from uh, coming. He did everything he could, but he couldn't stop it, and we read or we hear. And what happened then? Well, in Whoville, they say that the Grinch's small heart grew three sizes that day. And then the true meaning of Christmas came through, and the Grinch found the strength of ten Grinches plus two. That's our picture for today. That's the words for today. Now, you remember the scene, right? You've seen it. I know you've seen it a million times. The, the Grinch's small heart has a little frame that's around it, and you watch the scene, and the heart grows three sizes until it bursts out the sides of that little frame. That's the sermon today. Okay? That's what this verse is. That's what my prayer has been. Lord, Lord, enlarge my heart. Now, uh, parenthetically speaking, or a footnote in this sermon, uh, for those of you who are medical professionals, <laughs> and for the rest of us, an enlarged heart is not a good thing, right? So if you go to the doctors and the doctor says to you, uh, you've got an enlarged heart, please don't say, I've been praying for that. I'm so thankful to, to have that. That's not the point. So we're, we're talking not about uh, our physical hearts right now, but spiritually speaking, right? If we are uh, tender-hearted if we're warm-hearted, if we are open-hearted, if we are, in fact, big-hearted, then that is a very good thing. All right, so the word here that's in our text, the word enlarge, is a word that means to broaden, to make it broader, to, to grow wide, to make something spacious and roomy. Now, it can be a word that's used in Scripture negatively. So in the book of Isaiah, for example, uh, it talks about hell opening its mouth wide because it desires to swallow and take in everything that it can possibly get into its mouth, into its pit. But of course, it can be positive as well, and that's what we see in our verse. That's what we see in some of the others that I put in your bulletin this morning, particularly on pages six and seven of your bulletin, that the word is good in context also. It's often used in one of its forms uh, as a, a description of measurement, 
as just a description of how broad something is. The breadth of something is part of this word and part of the concept of it. In the Pentateuch in particular, we see that it's often used with respect to borders, to talk about the borders of a nation and the breadth of a nation. And one of the promises that God gives to his people is that when you get into the land, when you get into the place that I am preparing for you, I'm going to broaden your borders. Uh, at one point, Isaac in Genesis 26 says, the Lord has made room for us and we will be fruitful. Made room, the Lord has enlarged us. He's in, enlarged the place for us and in this particular place, we will see the fruit of the Lord. Uh, extra verses this morning are found on page six and seven of your bulletin, but in one of them, just as an example, uh, Isaiah 54, as Isaiah is looking forward to the, the gospel going to all of the world after the coming of the suffering, suffering servant in Isaiah 53, God, through Isaiah, tells the people, enlarge your tents. You, you're going to need a bigger tent. You're going to need to stretch it out. You're going to need to lengthen the pegs for two reasons. One, because the nations are going to be coming in to dwell with you, and you are going to be spreading out. You're going to have to have a bigger tent. So enlarge here is the same uh, word that is used. So when we come then to this psalm, and the psalmist reflecting on this idea of trying to get an enlarged heart, a bigger heart. Our psalmist, our poet, is reflecting on what he has, a heart that has been given to him by the Lord, and what he desires to have more of. He wants that which he has, a heart, a fleshy heart to follow after the Lord, to grow and to become a spacious heart. A spacious heart. He doesn't want a tight, a constricted, a kind of hemmed-in heart, because it's hard to run like that. Now, we can talk about this, uh, you know, physically as well, and you can appreciate how these kind of overlap with one another. I hope you haven't experienced tightness in your chest, tightness in your heart when you're working out, but sometimes you do. And if you do, back off, right? But nevertheless, the idea is pretty clear to us that when things are tight inside of our chest, when things aren't flowing well inside of us, that's not good for running. Instead, he wants it opened up. He wants it freed up. He wants it enlarged. He wants the blood to be able to course out and through his heart. That's the desire that he has. So as we look at this day, here's what I want to do very simply. I just want to make a couple of observations as we look at this text today. And, and the first observation is this. I think that we can all say, along with the psalmist, that we need this too. I know I can say, along with the psalmist, that I need this, that I want this kind of a heart. And I think I can say it on behalf of all of us as well, that you need this. You need your heart to be enlarged so that we can run in the way of the commands of God. That's been my prayer. It's been Lord of heaven and earth. Lord, you're the one who has created this heart. You know it better than I do. Please enlarge it. 
enlarge its capacities. Now, if we ask the question, why do we need, spiritually speaking, why do we need a larger heart? I think the answer is plain, right? You could answer that question probably as easily as I could, but it's important to just see it scripturally speaking. We need this because on their own, you know your heart, and you know what Scripture says about your heart. On, your, on our own, our hearts are sinful, they're hard, they're stony, they're dead, right? That's what Scripture says to us, and you know the passages. Jeremiah 17, the heart is deceitful above all else, desperately sick. Who can understand it? And of course, you know that in the very beginning of Scripture, when God reflects on the state of humanity, we read this comment, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The, the Bible regularly describes the natural state of our hearts as being hard. That's what we read in the New Testament reading just a few moments ago. Your, your, your former manner of life when you were hard-hearted, Paul says to them, and that's true of all of us without the Lord. We see in the passages on the front of your bulletin, for example, that our hearts are called hearts of stone. And, and this is the thing to realize then that we don't naturally, in and of ourselves, according to the psalmist here, we don't naturally run in the way of the commands of God. That's what he wants. He wants to run in those ways. Instead, what we naturally do is run away from the commands of God. Ever since our first parents started doing that, that becomes the disposition that is at work within us, this desire to go the other way. We need a bigger heart because so often we have wandering hearts. Now, if you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you know all about wandering hearts. And if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you know all about wandering hearts. Right? That's why, you know, I heard how loud we all sang together, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And every single person in the room could give the same testimony of why we sing the song, why we sing the hymn with so much joy, with so much conviction, because when you get to the third verse and you sing together, I'm prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love, everybody goes, yay and amen. Because everybody in this room knows what that feels like, to have this part of us, this part of us that we hate, that we can't even make sense of it because we're leaving that which we love, and so we sing it that way, and your voices raise up and sing it, not because we're happy about it, but just because we're having, being able to sing it and say it together before the Lord, that this is true of us. I am prone to like and to love what I shouldn't. And I'm prone to wander and to walk away from the things that I should like and the things that I should love. We need a bigger heart, and you could reflect on this in the Ephesians passage as well. We need a bigger heart because so often our hearts have been overcome, have been bound up by anger and by bitterness. You live long enough in this world and you get angry at things. 
You get bitter about things, and it gets inside of us, and so often our hearts, as a result, become cold. They become deadened to pain that is around us. We become tired of dealing with those things. We don't have enough blood flow to keep the capacity going. We become numb to the things that are around us. Our, our hearts lose their dexterity, their elasticity, their pliability. They become instead brittle hearts. Paul started right off with this in Ephesians 4. They become calloused hearts, hardened, really rough spots on those hearts because they've been worn out by exposure to this world. We need bigger hearts because of the pain and the damage we have sustained and undergone in this world. Sometimes you need bigger hearts because of what you've done because of what your sin has shown you about yourself. Sometimes you need a bigger heart because of what's been done to you, of how your heart has suffered the blows of this world, has suffered the trauma of life, has suffered the abuse of life, has been damaged by what takes place in this world. You need an enlarged heart because hearts get bruised up by the stuff that happens to them in this evil world. They're sick, and they need healing. Perhaps the easiest way to conceive of this, why do we need an enlarged heart? Perhaps I think the easiest way to say it is that I need an enlarged heart because what God wants from me, what God wants from you, is that I love my neighbor and love him with all of my heart. But I just declared what the state of my heart is. And so what do you do when that's the reality? When that command has been given to us with all of your heart love, and your heart actually is like that, you say, Lord, enlarge my heart. Enlarge my heart. You say, Lord, you can, and this is a dictum that I repeat often to us, and I repeat it in prayer and sermons because it's so essential to understand Scripture. Lord, command what you will. Command me to love you with all of my heart. But Lord, give what you command. Give what you command. If you command me to love you with all of my heart, you know the impossibility of me doing exactly that. So great God in heaven, give me what you have commanded me to do, and then I'll be at rest in you. So the Bible tells us, of course, that we don't simply need a repaired heart, but we need a new heart. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit have promised to do exactly that for all who will see their need of it and who will call on Him. That's the promise that's on, well, Ezekiel 11 from the front of your bulletin this morning. And I will give them one heart and a new spirit. By the way, heart, spirit here, we can talk about the same things. I will put within them, I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them and they shall be my people and I will be their God. For all who will trust, not in their own hearts, 
but in the heart of Christ, then the Lord is pleased to give a new heart to all such people. That's the gift of a new heart. But neither, neither the promise to give a new heart nor the need of a new heart stop there because the reality is my heart, your heart, needs to grow. It needs to get bigger. The, the biblical illustration, well, two that are just life illustrations and biblical illustrations as well, is the joy of a new birth. So everybody delights in the birth of a healthy new baby, and everyone smiles, and everyone thinks that the baby is beautiful, and not a single person for as beautiful and as wonderful as the baby is wants the baby to stay a baby. No one does. Everybody wants to see that child, sorry, this is a weird, enlarge, grow, right? Grow up, get bigger, get stronger, become an adult. We all want to see that. We all long that for that for the child. And the same thing goes with, for example, a tree. If you go to a nursery because you'd like to have a tree in your yard and you buy a tree that's a nice little sapling, I assume that you don't think that this, this thing that you bought is going to look like that in five years, right? That it will be exactly the same size. If it were, you'd be disappointed. Something would be wrong with this tree that you just purchased. Instead, you want to see the tree grow. And the same thing is true with us when God, by his grace, through his spirit, implants within us the new heart, the heart of Christ. The desire is what? Let's see it grow. Let's see that thing work. Let's see what that thing will do, what it will produce in this world. That's why we need, like the psalmist, an enlarged heart. The second observation is this. If, if the need is the first one, then the second observation is that heart enlargement is possible. I think that's one of the most encouraging things to me in this passage, is that it is possible for our hearts to get bigger, they can grow. That is the experience, and that's the hopeful expectation of our psalmist that his heart will continue to grow and enlarge so that he can run in the commands of God. We do not need to be defined by the current size of our heart. We're not locked into that. We're not locked into it right now, and we're not locked into some idealized image of what that may have been in some other part of our lives. Those of you who are young, understand what I'm saying experientially. It makes complete sense to you. It's, it's almost redundant for you, for me to even say this or even to be excited about it. And the reason for that is that your life is made up of growth. And when I say young right now, I'm talking those of you who are south of 50. Because the experience that you have in life is that things are going up, that things are going well, that your body is getting stronger, that your mind is getting sharper, and, and that, you know, your kids are growing up, all around you, you experience growth. Now, if, if, I, if I spoke to the kids earlier about the, the Grinch illustration, now, let, let me speak to us, to those of us who are on the north side of 50. On the north side of 50, that's not your experience. And if you're not yet there, you will be, God willing, and you'll understand that it doesn't continue to work the way it does right now. I see within myself 
I see the, the seeds of, yea, the evidence of a growing grinchiness. And I don't mean the good Grinch. I don't mean like the post-redemption Grinch at the end of the, the show. I mean the old Grinch. I, I, I mean the one that nobody likes Grinch. I mean grumpy old men. That's pro proverbial, right? That, that's just a thing. Everybody knows what that is. And I see the strong potential in my own life of heart constriction, of clogged spiritual arteries, of, of plaque buildup in my life. That may be my physical experience, but what I'm saying and suggesting is that may match up with my actual spiritual experience as well. I feel a constrictedness in me that I've not known before. And I think to myself, that is a strange thing, and I don't like it. I don't like it. And the encouragement for me from this verse, as I look at it, as I read it, as I've prayed it, is that it doesn't have to be that way. Is that I'm not locked into that fate. In fact, the scriptures go the other direction. Let me quote Paul in a verse that, when you put it in this context, it makes complete sense. From 2 Corinthians, So we do not lose heart. We don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self, the heart, the inner self, is being renewed day by day. That verse means a lot more to me than it used to. And I hope it, and I pray it a lot more than I used to. So, two observations, and a large heart is needed, and a large heart is possible. And the last observation is this, that heart enlargement is God's work and our work. It is God's work and our work. It is the fundamental assumption of the psalmist that heart work is God's work, right? That's when you enlarge my heart. God, you're the one who has to enlarge my heart. You're the only one who can do this. You're the only one who can transform my heart. And of course, the good news is that God delights to do it. The better news is, is that God has committed himself to doing it. He's committed himself as he gave a new heart. He's committed himself in glory to say, that's when I'm going to fully transform your heart and clean it up completely. And he's committed even now to the process by which our hearts are being transformed along the way as well. Those are promises that he's made to us. And because of the promises, because of his commitment to renewal of our hearts, then our response to that is pray. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew, renew a right spirit within me. That's, that's the prayer of somebody who knows that God gives renewed hearts. Let me give another example on page 7 of your bulletins from Ephesians chapter 3. This is Paul's prayer at the end of that chapter for the church in Ephesus. And listen to it in the language of, of, of what we're talking about today, of Paul looking at the Ephesians Remember, this is the church that in Revelation they will be corrected because they've lost their first love. Maybe Paul sees an inkling of that, and so he's praying for their hearts in particular. 
And we read this, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all of the fullness of God. Pray that God would enlarge and fill your heart. And what it gets enlarged with is the love of Christ. That's what causes it to go boom, 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 and to expand. That's what Paul's praying here, that the Spirit of God will take the love of Christ, will minister it to your heart so that it goes so that it enlarges. It's God's work. But clearly, it's our work as well. Now, that may sound counterintuitive to us, but it's our work as well. You probably don't have Psalm 119 open. You don't, you don't need to open to it. But the, the two verses before it have these, listen to the verbs. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies. I will run in the way of your commandments. Chosen, set, cling, run. Those are all things that the, the, the psalmist, the poet is saying, I do those. Those are mine. Those, those belong to me. An ever-growing heart requires from us vigilance and devotion. Vigilance in this sense. You've periodically, metaphorically, got to be able to take it out and look at it and say, oh my soul, why are you downcast within me? Put your hope in God. You've got to be able to be vigilant about what's going on in your heart and not just assume it. You've got to be able to look at it and analyze it. And frankly, I hate doing it. I, I know you need to do it. I've preached a whole sermon series on needing to do it. But I hate to do it because I hate looking at it. But that's the call. Be vigilant and then devoted devoted to enlarging that heart, to doing the things that God has given to us in this life, the worship of God, of course, we're in Psalm 119, meditation, contemplation, memorization of the Word of God, conversing with the people of God and spending time with them, singing, and the poetry of the Word of God. All of these are the things that God has given to us as the people of God to say, enlarge your heart. Cling to these things. Run in these things so that your heart will grow bigger. Listen to how Paul exhorts, just so you see the, the way this is a human responsibility as well, the church in Corinth, again on page 7. This is from 2 Corinthians. The context here is that things are a little dicey now between Paul and the church in Corinth because people have come in and they've started questioning Paul and undermining the relationship that Paul has with the Corinthians. So Paul says this to them, we have spoken freely to you Corinthians, our heart is wide open. Same it, it, Greek here is the same as the Hebrew uh, translation. Our heart is wide open. It's an enlarged, it's a big heart. We are big hearted towards you. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. Okay? In, in, in contrast to our open heart, 
You're all clogged up. You're all constricted. You're all restricted. It's not anything we've done. You've restricted it. You're responsible for constricting your hearts, and now our love is a little bit dicey. It's a little bit on the rocks because of what you've done. He continues, in return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also, crank them back open. You've let them get closed. You've let them get all clogged up and all stale and all full of plaque and build up in them. Open up those hearts. Widen your hearts so that the love, Paul speaking here between them and the Corinthians, could continue as it used to be. Listen, I'm closing with this. Listen to the way Calvin, John Calvin, in his commentary on the Psalms, commenting on this particular verse, expresses this same idea, that this is ultimately God's work to enlarge our hearts together with a responsibility that belongs to us. The meaning of the prophet is that when God shall inspire him with love for his law, he will be vigorous and ready, nay, even steady, so as not to faint in the middle of his course. His words contain an implied admission of the inability of men to make any advancement in well-doing until God enlarged their hearts. No sooner does God expand their hearts than that they are fitted not only for walking, but also for running in the way of his commandments. He reminds us that the proper observance of the law consists not merely in external works, but that it demands willing obedience so the heart must, to some extent, and in some way, enlarge itself. Not that it has the self-determining power of doing this, but when once its hardness and obstinacy are subdued, the heart, it moves freely without being any longer contracted by its own narrowness. Finally, this passage tells us that when God has once enlarged our hearts, there will be no lack of power. Because along with proper affection, he will furnish ability so that our feet will be ready to run. Here then is my prayer. It's my prayer for me. It's my prayer for you. I ask that it be your prayer for you, for one another, and for me as well. May the Lord enlarge our hearts so that we delight to love. That's the command that is set before us. That's the summary of all the commands that are set before us. Lord, we pray. Enlarge our hearts by the power at work within us, by the work of Jesus Christ, by the heart of Jesus Christ, according to the promises of Jesus Christ, according to the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Enlarge our hearts. Amen. All right, today, praise God, we have.